Welcome to Living Word Ministries with director and Bible teacher, Debbie Blank. Each week, Debbie examines current events through the lens of end times Bible prophecies. Please visit our website for information and past programs at livingwordministry.org. Now let's open our Bibles to focus on truths from God's Word with Debbie Blank. Change affects different people in different ways. Some enjoy the challenges of change, while others freeze at moving in any kind of a new direction. Fear is the most common outcome of change, which is why people freeze. But God wants us to overcome that fear with faith. After all, God is supreme and sovereign over everything. He leads us in the paths of righteousness for his namesake. So as the world continues to change, we are blessed to be able to fix our eyes on Jesus because he's the one who gives us direction and guidance and peace of mind, as well as the fact he will never leave us or forsake us and he will provide all of our needs. Our needs may change, our wants may change, but we can trust in the Lord during all of those times. I'm Debbie Blank. Today, we're going to continue to look at the changes, the aftermath of COVID, we call it, that are occurring in this day and age and how they match up with what God said the world would look like in the days before Jesus' return. And I'm co-host Jackie Sailors. Debbie, you just mentioned fear as the most common outcome of change. And to compound that even further, fear is a known tool of the devil. It's very effective, and that's why building up our faith is so important. It's no coincidence that those pushing the New World Order and the Great Reset and the World Economic Forum have used fear from the pandemic to cause people all over the world to wear masks, social distance, lock down in their homes, close churches, lose their businesses, become more isolated and suspicious of each other, more dependent on the internet, and more dependent on the government than ever. We have heard some politicians say, never let a good crisis go to waste. They mean that they can push changes on a population during a crisis that the people would never agree to under normal circumstances, how much of our freedom have we already given up in the last two years? What are their leaders planning next? And how much closer is the world to globalism, the Antichrist, and the Mark of the Beast? Jackie, you mentioned government control, the lockdowns, the mass mandates, the World Health Organization taking over future pandemics. Those are things we discussed quite detailed last week. If you missed that, you might want to go to our website at livingwordministry.org and click on our Bible Prophecy Radio Show's so you can listen to that, because we're going to continue along those lines this week to talk about the aftermath of COVID, how our world and our country, and we as individuals actually, are leaning more towards this global government, but also towards what God said the world would look like in these last days. One of the ways that we'll be led more into a one world government is for our government controlling us. And they have done that. We've seen and we've allowed them to through the mass mandates and the vaccines, as well as lockdowns, and now moving into a treaty with the World Health Organization to give them authority to supersede our Constitution when there's a medical crisis, specifically a pandemic. But what's the most important thing? Bill Clinton said it in his campaign in 1992 when he said, it's the economy, stupid, because what do we run on in this country? The economy, our money to do what we want to do with the money that we have earned. What's going to happen when a digital currency occurs? Because that is the direction we're being led towards. Henry Kissinger once said, the one who controls the food supply controls the people. 
talk about that when we get to famine. The one who controls energy controls the whole continent. That's an issue today, too. Then he said the one who controls money controls the whole world. And that's what we're seeing. A year and a half ago, when the idea of digital currency first came up, I asked two bankers. One was the president of a local bank and one was a vice president of a local bank. I asked them about digital currency and they both told me it'll never happen. People are not willing to give up their cash. I saw them both within the last month or so and I asked them both the same question. Now the tide's turn was, I don't see how they're going to do it, but the government's talking about it. These are bankers. They should be involved in some of the decision-making on currency, and they're not. The government is going to tell them what to do, and they will be required to do it as far as currency goes. If they have to give up cash, they'll have to give up cash. And it's going to happen. American economist Dr. Pippa Malmgren said, what underpins the world order is always the financial system. That's what Henry Kissinger said. She went on to say, we're on the brink of a dramatic change where we are about to abandon the traditional system of money and accounting and introduce a new one. It means digital. And then she went on to say, when they implement their system globally, they will have a record of every single transaction that happens in the economy on the entire planet. When I read that, I think, well, that's a way of enacting the mark of the beast sometime in the future, which is if we don't have this digital currency, we won't be able to buy or sell. That would be at some point, make it easier by having a mark. And they're talking about that right now, chips and different tattoos that you can put on your wrist in order to buy and sell. You just swipe it across some kind of a mechanism and all your information's there. You're going to have a record of everything that happens. So what if I donate money to a crisis pregnancy center and the government continues with their pro-abortion stance, even though that may change with the Supreme Court? They call it a central bank digital currency, which is a CBDC. And it's based on the same blockchain technology as Bitcoin. But the difference with Bitcoin is this one's patterned after China's pattern of money, whereas Bitcoin's independent. It's all personalized. This new digital currency would be controlled by the government. Which is really scary because, as you said, they can shut down your account. They could change your account. They're talking about the social credit scores like they have in China. If they don't like your behavior, they can change whatever financial capacity you have or forbid you from using it for this. Maybe you can use it for something else, but they won't let you use it for a list of things. It would be total control. There's no anonymity with cash and with Bitcoin, the way Bitcoin is set up. One of the advantages is there is anonymity and you can have a normal transaction and it's not anybody else's business. And as long as it's legal, that's just fine. With this, that wouldn't be the case at all. And we know what happened in Canada, even when the convoy was coming through, the truckers were coming through in Canada and Justin Trudeau just said, well, we're just gonna be freezing your accounts. People were giving through GoFundMe And so they were freezing it. They were leaning on GoFundMe, and GoFundMe was shutting it down and saying they weren't going to give the money at all, which would be taking it by fraud. So they, you know, they had to work that out. But they were already willing to do that. So somebody who spent like $20 to give to the truckers because they wanted him to have food or something got their account shut down. I mean, it was terrible. So we know what's in their heads. We know what they will do. And now they're going to have a path to do it to everybody. 
Somebody said, imagine what they do to gun shop owners if the administration does not agree with that directive. Or even in an abortion clinic, if a pro-life president came in or a pro-life administration, it's hard to say. They say that they could even force you to buy broccoli instead of ice cream because they know what's best for you. You have to consider the government would have complete control over your life with this digital currency. Now, when they institute this, they're not going to tell us these things. What they're going to say is, we can control your currency better so that nobody can take your identity, so that no one can steal your money through your credit cards or your bank accounts. We're protecting you. You remember Klaus Schwab, the founder of the World Economic Forum? He once said, you'll own nothing and be happy. That's what they will do through this eventually. Right now, a third of Americans make no purchases with cash. As a matter of fact, the younger generation, their numbers are worse, but they're used to using their credit card. And many colleges are offering the stamp or a digital means of walking through the lunch line or paying for their books or anything else. It's already there. We want easier, more accessible without understanding what that will mean in the long run. Because everyone will be dependent on a CBDC currency in order to participate in society. That is George Orwell's 1984 all over again as we see the control financially of the government. A 2021 survey conducted by the European Union in the United Kingdom said at least 51% of people will consider having a chip implanted in their bodies right now, today. Imagine what that's going to be like in another year or two when we're indoctrinated more and more into a green passport with a vaccine or a health status on it. Or we're indoctrinated more into this digital currency, which numerous countries are talking about right now. It's not just the United States, but Canada's talking about it, England, France, all those nations are talking about it. As a matter of fact, in Brussels, they are developing a government digital wallet. It's in the process right now. They say, we want to offer Europeans a new digital identity. That was in a speech given a year ago by the European Union president. So that's the direction all Europe is going and where Europe goes, we're going. Keep in mind too, something we don't talk about often is that according to Daniel chapter nine, the new world order is predominantly going to be run by some type of European entity. We don't know if that European entity will be actually Europe or as a follower of the Roman Empire, if it will be more Asia. But it's going to be that part of the world. It's not going to be our world. So if the European Union is already looking at this digital wallet, it can happen and will happen with us. Be careful. Imagine what they do if they want to hide your money. Look at a tech company named Wallamore. They've developed a new app called PureRist, which is simply a digital wallet Combined with a microchip, it only costs $299. People are flocking to get it. Of course, they have to have companies and countries who are willing to implement the machines, but they're doing it right now. More and more countries are developing items like this. What's amazing is we used to wonder how the mark of the beast was even going to be technologically possible. Now we've lived into a time where we understand that we know it's technologically possible now, but we still wondered why people would take one. What would make somebody willing to do it? Certainly, it's a little different in Revelation where it goes as far as that this is showing loyalty to the Antichrist or to the beast. But even now, people are willing to take it just for the convenience. So they're being conditioned 
so that that next step won't be as big a step for some people unless they're grounded in scripture they're in danger of taking that very much so because who's wants to be in a position where they won't be able to buy or sell or go to work or eat or anything but that's what will happen if you don't have the mark of the beast and you're right all of this is conditioning right now we haven't seen a ton of personal changes but they're all in the works to happen by 2030 but even sooner than that because they have to condition us that by 2030 we'll accept all of these changes that are going on you look at canada right now they're instituting a digital id management and collection and it sounds so good If you read their information on it, and by the way, their information may be the only information you'll be able to read if a lot of our censorship continues, it looks really good. But you have to understand it gives the government total access to your finances. In the Philippines and Africa, they're talking about a SIM card registration where you have to register and present a valid ID for purchasing SIM cards to use in your telephones. It robs us of additional security that we want individually when they start controlling these items that we purchase on our own for our own personal use. There's a lot to be concerned about with this digital identification. It'll be easy, but I can tell you a story of a friend of mine who went to the bank one time to talk about a loan, and the banker pulled up his records about his checking account as well as his visa account. And he said, oh, I see you have a dog because you buy dog food at such and such. And you spend your money here and you do this and you do that. That really irritated this friend of mine so much so that he started using cash for everything because he didn't like the banker to know his private business. He had nothing to hide. He just didn't like it. Well, pretty soon we won't be able to use cash. So watch out for that. And then what about inflation? You see, if the government wants to control your money and control you and control your spending, they're going to allow inflation. We had an 8.5% increase in inflation in March of 2022. And then the commodities market outlook says that gas and energy costs, which already went up about 50% in 2021, are going to go up another 50% this year. Food prices went up 31% in 2021, and they're expecting them to rise 23% more this year. Those are huge increases. We've never seen that. Some people equate this to the inflation of the 70s, but this is so much worse. But go a little farther. The energy blackouts and the price increases with our gas and our problems with the supply chain backups. And then moving to renewable energy that our government has now demanded and away from fossil fuels and things, which are not allowing us to move fast enough into the new technology while the older technology is shutting down. So that's going to cause more blackouts. We're not used to this. We've had a very comfortable life in the United States. We can pretty much have what we want whenever we want. That has all changed with COVID. We can't go in and buy what we want at the grocery store. Some of us can't go in and afford it because it's so expensive, but a lot of times the shelves are empty. We have to pay a fortune for gas. A lot of people can't afford that. So we're seeing huge problems right now. They're going to all amount to the government controlling our wealth or redistributing the wealth. Or having to give us a basic income. When we talk about a guaranteed basic income, or they're called different things, but essentially the government gives everybody just a certain amount of money to live off of, and that's it. Well, that's communism. 
Some people might think, well, that'd be nice, but we don't want to go there. That is not nice. And we need to be aware of people getting used to handouts from the government. We don't want that. We want our own free will. We want our own free economy. We want things the way we've had it. We want to go back to the way things were before. We talked about that in the introductions to our shows, but that's the kind of thing that's concerning. One other thing concerns me is cyber blackouts and what would happen. They threaten that either Russia or certain enemies could could implement a cyber blackout and that would take care of financial situations there where our banking system and everything could be shut down, our healthcare system, everything could be shut down for a while. They say that if there's an EMP bomb, an electromagnetic pulse bomb, let off over the United States, that 90% of us would die the first year because all of our electronics would shut down. We do everything electronically now. Our banking, and especially if we go to digital banking, our banking will be shut down. We can't drive our cars because they're run by computers. The store can't receive their food from truckers because they're run by computers. All those issues will happen. Our water supply is cleansed through computers. Hopefully, the EMP bomb is not something we have to worry about or be concerned with. Hope prayerfully God will take care of us on that. But getting back to some of the things you just talked about, like the universal basic income, we've already seen it. We saw it in COVID. What did the government do? They gave every person who made under a certain amount of money $1,200 cash. What's interesting is that those people who didn't receive that money right away went into such a tizzy that they were demanding that the government electronically send it to their bank accounts or do something so that they would get it. That's just opening the door to digital currency, faster ways to get payment. Look what happened with the unemployment. The government provided unemployment for so long that people didn't want to work. All these businesses now that have been able to start up cannot find workers. You go to any store, doesn't matter if it's a restaurant or grocery store, whatever it is, they're all looking for help and they can't find it because people either don't want to work or they don't want to work for a minimum wage. Minimum wage, I think, is $7.50, but fast food restaurants are paying $13 to $15 a person because they can't get anyone. That's fascinating to me because the particular parts of the government have been pushing for a long time for a $15 minimum wage. And another part of the government has been backtracking against that. They didn't have to increase the minimum wage. They just caused a shortage in workers. Why? Because they were getting not only unemployment, but an extra $300 a week plus unemployment so that they would have enough money to live off. I'm glad we could support people like that. Don't misunderstand me. But what it did was it got people used to accepting government money, living off of, you might say, universal basic income. Now, the universal basic income, which they're pushing for, is a, at this point, it's $1,000 a month extra for certain people in the United States. What they're doing is to make it more equitable for people to be able to buy. And I think, well, wait a minute, don't they already give food stamps out? And don't they already give welfare? And are they not already paying for people to live who aren't willing to work, who are not bringing anything into this country? They say about 50% of the United States is paid by the government in one form or another. Now, Social Security is something that people have earned and they put into the government, so the government is just giving that back. But for the other people, they're taking advantage of the government and not putting anything into it. What will happen if we have a universal basic income? Will people work like they did before? Or will they just take minimal jobs and work part-time because they have $12,000 a year coming in from the government? All of it's designed to make us to be lazy. 
You know, the Bible says in Colossians 3, 22 and 23, whatever you do, do your work heartily as for the Lord rather than for man. From the Lord, you shall receive the reward of the inheritance. It is the Lord God whom you serve. We should do anything and everything we do to the best of our ability for the Lord. And that means working. We should work for our employers to lift them up, to promote them, but also to bring income in for our families. Second Thessalonians 3.10 says, if anyone is not willing to work, he's not to eat either. We have a responsibility before the Lord to work. God gives mankind that responsibility in Genesis 2. For us not to work causes us to be lazy. And when we're lazy, we do things we shouldn't do. We see crime increasing because people aren't busy. They're not working. They don't have to work. All of that has to do with entitlements, government handouts so that we don't work. It all sounds like it's just all ready to collapse our system the way it is. It's just not going to be the same country. And I know that they want the United States to collapse or be in a weakened condition so it will be more easily taken into the global government. When you have a strong nationalistic country, it's not going to be brought in easily. So they have to take us down. So we're looking at that. We're looking at unfettered immigration with everything else that you've said and paying people to be able to survive or whatever. When you have people from, I think, 120 different countries coming through our southern border every day, it's just going to be a lot worse now that they've taken away some of the restrictions from COVID. They're trying to fight that, but it's another thing that will just put more pressure on the system. And consider We are a country that's turning away from God. And if we turn away from God, do not follow him as our supreme leader, who are we going to follow? We're going to follow the government. Because everyone, deep down inside, we have a spiritual longing, but we also have an emptiness. We are followers. Most people are. We need someone to give us direction and guidance and leadership. And if it's not God, it's the government. If we consider the churches. They voluntarily closed during COVID. Now, they didn't have a choice for the first couple of weeks. But after that, many of them voluntarily stayed closed. They did that to protect their people for the most part. But lots of other churches were opening up. And they were even going against governments, like a couple of churches in California stood up against the government officials who told them they couldn't open. And they were able to, according to court decisions. Well, now you can understand that a Barna statistic showed that as of March of 2020, the percentages of pastors who considered quitting full-time ministry in the last year was at 42%. The top three reasons were the stress of the job and the loneliness and isolation they felt, and finally, the current political division. Not only that, but you have churches declining in attendance. Churches I've talked to have declined an average of about 30% in attendance. Because people who were kind of on the fence just didn't come back. Other people have been watching on TV, but will they ever come back? You look at France, only 2% of France are evangelical Christians. Only 4% of England have evangelical Christians. That means they're turning away from God in droves worldwide, but also in our country. Debbie, you talked about a decline in people attending church and people being discouraged over the time during COVID as far as turning to government instead of God, which is the opposite of what we should be doing. In the midst of all of that, there's been more and more divisiveness in our country. At the time when we really should be pulling together, we've seen more divisiveness. When President Biden accepted the presidency at his inaugural address, he promised that he was going to bring unity to the country, that he was a leader for all the country. 
But that hasn't happened. Politically, we are as polarized as ever before. But it also doesn't help when our leaders are making statements that divide us. Lately, President Biden has made a couple of statements that have divided our country. Half of our country supports abortion and half of our country doesn't. And yet he was critical of half the Americans who are pro-life when this potential Supreme Court decision became apparent. And then he was critical of half the Americans who voted for President Trump when he called the people who are mega people the greatest terrorists that we have in this country. Thirdly, it's divisive. Instead of bringing us into unity, we've become more divided over the issues that maybe we've always been divided over, but it wasn't quite so open as it is now. Why? Why is there so much anger? Back 25 years ago, we owned a business that was graffitied because we were strong pro-life supporters and it was public that we were. These people who were pro-abortion supporters wrote some ugly things on the outside of the building, but that's all they did. Now they've gone a step further. Unfortunately, in Wisconsin, they firebombed. They threw a Molotov cocktail at a pro-life family organization because they don't like what the Supreme Court might come up and do. That shows how far we've digressed in the last couple of decades where we're hurting people and we're destroying property. Look at the Black Lives Matter, the destruction and the chaos and the people who were hurt and killed and the government didn't do anything about it. People who tried to step in and make comments or bring peace to the situation were chastised. You look at the woke mentality of our businesses that are dividing businesses and dividing people within the business instead of unifying them for the common goal of the business. But that's what we're seeing. During the previous presidential election, we saw Hillary Clinton call President Trump's supporters deplorables. Again, that was half the people in the United States. Why are we doing this? We're doing this because we've given up our Christian faith. We're not following God. People may be going to churches, even though they're declining in membership significantly, but they're not following the Christian doctrine. They're not following the Bible because Jesus summed the commandments up into two things, to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and to love your neighbors as yourself. We're not doing that. If we love God, we will automatically love other people. We're told in first John chapter one, that if we don't love our brothers, we don't love God. So we are to be displaying love to one another as Christians. Instead, we're displaying hate. It's a different mentality out there. It's evil versus good. And as long as we turn away from God, that's going to continue. Yet we as Christians have a responsibility not to be angry, not to look at them as a problem. It might be the issue we don't agree with, but it's not the people that are a problem. We're to love them the way Jesus loves them. We're to handle things in a godly, honorable, righteous way and treat people with respect, no matter who they are and what they believe. We need to continue to do what's right, whether the world is or not. We're currently living in a unique time in our history where negative changes and evil is abounding. We need to focus on our blessed hope, the return of Jesus Christ, because all of this is just God laying the groundwork for the return of Jesus. So I'm going to encourage you to follow Titus 2, 11 through 14, which says, for the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation to all men. And that, of course, was through Jesus Christ. And then instructing us to deny ungodliness and worldly desires. And we are called to live sensibly righteously and godly in this present age, looking for the blessed hope 
and the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. What a great passage, because it reminds us that Jesus Christ is our salvation. Then he tells us how we're not supposed to live and how we should be living with the primary focus being on looking for Jesus' return. So how about if we change our hearts and our attitudes? And instead of looking at the changes or the fear or the problems, let's look to the return of Jesus Christ because he is our hope. Thank you for joining us today on Living Word Ministries with Debbie Blank. This is a listener-supported show. If you'd like to support this program or contact Debbie Blank, you may do so at P.O. Box 540-003, Omaha, Nebraska, 68154, or visit our website at livingwordministry.org. Please tune in each week at this same time for Living Word Ministries with Debbie Blank.